Welcome back, everybody. This is Tabby from Modern Life Podcast. You can find all our episodes on modernlifepodcast.com. You can email us modernlifepod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at modernlifepod. Today, we're going to be talking about Animal Farm by George Orwell. And I have a really exciting guest today. Uh, Marie from the Buchstäblich podcast. You can also find her on Instagram at My Colorful Bookshelf. I'll have everything linked below. On her Buchstäblich podcast, Marie discusses literary works, how literature is still relevant today, and how it impacts our lives. It's a beautiful German language podcast. That's also really nice if you want to just learn German and just listen to analyses of your favorite books. Let's get into it. Uh, welcome back. I have Marie here with me from the Buchstäblich podcast. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be on your podcast finally. <laughs> and we're talking about a great book. So I'm very excited to do that. So glad we could make it happen. Um, but before we get into that, what is your modern thought? What's your interesting fact for us today? Yeah, it's it's more of a interesting thought process and not a fact, I think. But I came across this essay by Roxane Gay called Not Here to Make Friends. And it was basically about the likability of characters and how a lot of people link unlikable characters to bad writing. And I oh. thought that was very interesting because I have never done that personally. I always was a very big fan of unlikable characters because I think a lot of unlikable characters seem more human because they're flawed and not all perfect and don't always make the right decisions. But um, she said that she's, a, uh, she's come across a lot of bad reviews on her books, for example, where people said they didn't like it because they didn't like the main character, for example. And I thought there was just a very interesting thought. And I didn't and know she, that was happening. I, I find that a very, very immature, almost like very poor reading comprehension. I didn't know that that was a thing that people were so judgmental of. Yeah, it was very new for me, but it really got me thinking. And then I realized that I've had several conversations about Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. And in those con conversations, some people said that they think they would have enjoyed the books more if um, she had been more likable. And that was a very weird thing to me because I think she's a beautifully written character because she's flawed and because she's not all perfect. But apparently that's a thing. I'm surprised people don't like Katniss Everdeen. She's so strong. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's a lot about expectations we have. Hmm. I guess there's also a big difference between male and female characters there because... I was just about to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we just expect a female character to be very loving and warm and Katniss isn't really that warm she's very cold and calculating I think but I mm. think that's actually a very interesting trait that I really enjoyed so I thought it was very interesting that so many people didn't like her and that so many people apparently link the unlikability of characters to the quality of the book 
Yeah, that that is interesting. That's that's a really good one. Uh, and, and also, if I think about any kind of classic lit, there's so many characters who, I mean, you wouldn't say you like Vodya in Crime and Punishment. He's a literal criminal or... You know, any of these yeah. like Russian authors or people I can think of. Yes, I immediately thought of Dorian Gray. I think it really discusses a lot of very interesting topics. But Dorian Gray isn't a likable character, right? I mean, he, he basically secludes himself from all of his friends. He abandons everything and everyone. And he kills people. He's very self-absorbed. I wouldn't want to be his friend. <laughs> But I've never heard anyone yeah. link that to the quality of the book. So I think that's very interesting. Good one. Um, so mine is actually book related as well. It's from an article by CNBC. And it's saying that physical books are actually outselling ebooks, which I wasn't aware of at all. I thought it would be the other way around just because ebooks are so much more accessible. You can read them on the go. I think they're also a lot more friendly towards any kind of disability because you can set your fonts and the the color. Um, and it's actually young people who are kind of promoting this buying of uh, actual physical books, which makes sense to me if I look at something like the Bookstagram community online where people, you know, just love to show up, myself included, all the beautiful editions and books that are coming out. Um, so yeah, books are still outselling ebooks, which which makes sense also in a world where we are so uh, visual. You know, I think it's more interesting to have a photo of some leather bound tome than your your e reader. Yeah, I think so too. I think it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. And uh, most of the people I know read far more physical books than ebooks. But mm. it's still a little surprising because, as you said, e-readers and e-books do have a lot of pros to them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I thought it would be balanced, maybe. Yeah, I think I would have thought the same. But yeah, that's all we have. We can dive into the main topic. Animal Farm came out in 1945 by George Orwell. So are you ready to do the summary of the book? Yeah, sure. We start off with this old pig, old major, and he tells all of the other family, uh, not families, animals, um, at the farm about his dream. And he basically dreams of this animal rebellion and he wants the animals to be independent and live in peace together, basically. And the farmer of these animals, Mr. Jones, actually also treats them really badly and he's a drunk, so the whole situation isn't great for the animals, so they decide to actually take action and take over the farm and there are these two pigs organizing the whole thing napoleon and snowball and they also give this whole movement the name animalism which is of course an allegory to communism but i think we'll get into that a little later um, and they formulate seven commandments and they're basically all about you shouldn't act like a human being and all animals are equal. But Mr. Jones doesn't give up and he wants to win the farm back. So there is the battle of the cow shed, which the animals are able to win, actually. And, and then there is this 
rivalry between Snowball and Napoleon because they both want to be the official leaders of the farm. And Snowball actually proposes the building of a windmill, which would provide them with electricity. So he's very clever and has this very thought through plans. But Napoleon obviously wants to win and only has his interests in mind. So he expels Snowball from the farm and makes him the scapegoat for everything bad that happens from there on. And there's a lot of bad things happening on the farm. And then there's actually another attack by another farmer um, called Frederick. He basically did a trade with the farm, but then gave them fake money and they're all very angry at each other. But the animals can defeat the human beings again. But the most hardworking horse, Boxer, is very badly injured in this battle. And then Napoleon realizes he won't be able to work anymore. And he sends him to slaughter, which is, in my opinion, the most heartbreaking part of the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, some of the animals kind of at that point notice that something's off, that not everything is great that's going on, but they can't really do anything about it. And the pigs seclude themselves. They live in the farmer's house. They wear clothes and drink alcohol and walk on, t walk on two legs and basically do all of the things that they agreed on not doing when they formulated those commandments and they then also just change the commandments so that they're not doing anything wrong and they make the animals believe that it's always been like that so the most well-known quote from the whole book is probably all animals are equal but some animals are more equal than others which is what they change the seventh commandment to and it's, yeah, it's really heartbreaking to see. And yeah, the book ends with the pigs reconnecting with farmers, with humans, and having some kind of party or meeting or a mixture of both, where they want to, you know, decide on the future of the farm and work together. And the animals, the other animals watch from the outside and they can't tell the pigs and the humans apart anymore. Very well done. That's a great summary. Yeah, I just want to... Thanks. What you just said, that last line, I love so much. The creatures outside looked from pig to man, from man to pig, and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which, which is a yes. great last line. I think so too. It's really scary though, when you think about it. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's this huge, huge development, and then in the end, we're basically at a point that's even worse than at the beginning. Yeah, I, I think it is worse. I think you're right about that. Because at least they were all, um, in the beginning, kind of oppressed together. And now they're yeah. so split apart. Yeah, and also this whole development, just there were a lot of sacrifices made for, for the sake of animalism. And then in the end, mm. nothing changes. So all of these animals were killed or died for nothing, basically. All of the things that these animals represent. I mean, the, the story is written like a fairy tale. That's the point of the book. So it's very easy to read. Um, but it wasn't a quick read for me, even though it is such a small book, because I would read one sentence and then I'm spend another five minutes on Wikipedia, you know, looking up what does this actually mean and yeah. trying to familiarize myself with Russian history. Yeah, definitely. It's it's such a small book. It's under 100 pages, I think. But there's so much to it. 
and it has so much meaning, which I think is amazing, but also I think can be quite difficult when you want to understand all of that. So I've already said that with animalism, this whole movement being an allegory for communism and the whole story basically retelling the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So should we go go into the the different characters? Well, let's do it. We're starting off with old major, right? That was the original pig, yeah. Which I believe is supposed to be Lenin. Yeah, I think it's it's a mixture of of Marx and Lenin. Ah, okay. If you if you view it from just the Russian perspective, it would be Lenin, I think. But if you have a bit more of a broader view, I guess you could also say he's a symbol for Marx. Yeah, the ideology and the whole theme yeah. of it. You, the interesting thing about Napoleon is such a great choice for a name. I think so too, because it it connects so many more things and it gives even more depth to the whole story. Because obviously Napoleon represents Stalin mm-hmm. in the Russian Revolution, but um, calling him Napoleon also includes a lot more history basically coming from france so i think yeah yeah it's definitely a, an amazing choice you know we all know the name napoleon so we all associate things with it and oh that's true yeah it's a good yeah. literary device so i'm sure he was aware of that when deciding how to name the characters and then snowball is um uh, trotsky I have written down here. Yeah. Leon Trotsky, who he always wants rebellion on all other farms, whereas Napoleon is for the socialism in one country. So their their goals in the book represent the different takes on socialism and how Russia should deal with it at the time. Yes, and I actually looked up Trotsky a few days ago, and he's a very interesting person, I think. He is, Probably the most interesting of everyone involved in in the revolution. And definitely uh, represent those ways that the population could go, basically. I also think that Trotsky and and Snowball, they thought what the, the movement stands for, like, originally a little more. Hmm. Whereas... Especially Napoleon really uses the whole system also for his own good. And obviously that was also something that happened in reality. Um, but with Snowball, it's also interesting that he chose the name Snowball because snow and the color white is something that's always associated with innocence. And Trotsky was, wasn't was an innocent person i would never say that because he also uh, was responsible for you know a lot of shady stuff at least snowball really always had the the other animals in mind that's the feeling i got and he really wanted this this movement to function and to grow and didn't put himself first so with the snowball thing i'm wondering if you're right about the snow thing almost like representing purity like the pure essence of what communism means and then i'm also wondering is it like is it supposed to be like a snowball effect that it's supposed to represent like oh if we start this in one country and then we can it can go to the next country and slowly you know socialism can take over the world i have 
th- that name for me is a little less obvious than Napoleon. And like, I'm not yeah. quite sure about that one. Yeah, definitely. And I think he maybe did that on purpose. Yeah. Because you just start to associate things with the name, but it's it's not giving you this clear picture. And I think that Trotsky is actually a person like that to a lot of people. Like, you know that he was there and you kind of know, most people probably know that he was exiled and then murdered and stuff like that but we don't really know that much about him and i think this like name that isn't as clear as all of the others basically mm, oh could contribute oh, to that that's really smart <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely an interesting thought so boxer i think is another character that is one of the more interesting ones one of the more fleshed out ones and also a character that you can easily say oh this represents probably the working class, you yeah. know, the salt of the earth kind of people who are the groundwork of Russia. Yeah, definitely. And the people who work the hardest but don't get anything out of it, basically. And it it's interesting. I don't know if this is at all um, intentional or I'm just looking at this with a modern lens. There, There's really no space for um, disability within the system on the farm. For mm-hmm. example, the windmill work on Sundays is voluntary, but if you are absent, rations are halved. So you can choose to have a day off, but you know, and as soon as Boxer is unable to perform, he's he's not in retirement or anything. They just kill him off for meat, which is yeah. interesting. Your your value within the system is just about the amount of work that you can produce that's valuable to Napoleon. Yes, I think that's very intentional. And you also see this change. I didn't mention it in the in the summary because it's just like a very small point. But in the beginning, they have some sort of retirement system. And they say every animal will work until they're oh, right. a, a certain age. And then they get some area where they can just lie around and eat their food, basically. And then... As, as soon as Snowball is expelled from the farm, all of that changes and there is no retirement for any animal. It's true, you're right about it. I, f- I forgot about that, that they had that provision in place and then it's yeah. just another thing that they go back on. So the next thing I had in my notes was I looked up how behind Russia was on industrialization and how they mm-hmm. lacked the type of, you know, just labor. They didn't have labor um, available. And how that is kind of represented in the windmill of trying to build all this up again. And, it, I mean, this this kind of benefited them, actually, in World War II when the Germans were coming in. And they didn't, they didn't get anywhere. They couldn't take over the country because the roads weren't paved and you're just in dirt roads with your tanks and mm. <laughs> it kind of helped them out in the end. But it, yeah, it's interesting. How do you, how do you catch up? And then what are the sacrifices that you, that keep happening in the building of this windmill, which seems like an endless task, yeah. right? It keeps being destroyed or something happens to it. And it's almost like they keep trying to do it over and over again in the book. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, the the whole windmill storyline and also how big of a part Boxer plays in that. So that's what we said earlier about the working class 
being exploited and not getting anything out of it because Boxer works really, really hard on this windmill and when everyone else is going to sleep already, uh, he works extra hours and then he gets up two hours earlier in the morning to just carry all of those heavy stones to rebuild the windmill for the third time and Mm -hmm. it never gets finished so he never gets any kind of reward from that and then in the end he gets killed just as a thank you for all of the work so i think that's very frustrating to read actually (laughs) oh it's so sad when the animals are like running after the van (laughs) you're like no (laughs) yeah also i love the character of benjamin the cynical donkey because he's basically the only one who really noticed what's up like all around he really realized very early on that, that maybe not everything's great what happens here and but he just has this feeling that nothing will ever change so he doesn't do anything about it but then when boxer is sent away and he sees that he's gonna be slaughtered on this car or whatever he gets so mad at all of the other animals for being so ignorant and i think that was a really really powerful moment because you would never expect him to have such an emotional outbreak basically and it really showed how much boxer means to him yeah he's because he's also in that moment seeing seeing boxer as an individual which is another thing that makes it so powerful like you've said you know he's not just defined by how can he help the the farm he cares about him as as a person. And, and it's interesting, the donkey, how he, I think, is the defense mechanism. You know, if you are an older generation, you've seen this all before, and nobody is going to listen to you anyways. You don't, you just keep it all inside. You know, you don't speak up. You don't try and change anything because he, there's nothing you could have done about it. Yeah. Um, I love the cat, but I was having such trouble trying to look up what the cat is representing. Mm. It just kind of slinks around. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, too. I think um, the cat and also the raven, Moses, they are really mm. interesting because they just basically do what they want. Um, and with Moses, it's it's more apparent what he stands for. I think he stands for the whole religious aspect because he always talks about this, I think it's called Sugar Candy Mountain. If I remember mm-hmm. correctly, which is basically heaven, I guess, and always talks about how everything's better there. Yeah. But the cat, <laughs> I don't really know what the cat, if the cat even represents anything. Maybe it's also just a nice little touch that he wanted to include. But I don't know. Yeah, and the cat gets away with everything. You know, nobody, yeah. nobody cares. <laughs> the cat is so sly i just i found it endearing you're right that maybe it was just it was just thrown in there um i did also love molly the the white mare who's just she just wants to wear ribbons in in her hair and have a good time and not take things too seriously and that's not an option in that kind of society for her so she she got out i mean she was the only one who got out so Good for her. Yeah, uh, I thought that was actually also a very interesting storyline because it really shows that the system isn't good for anyone, uh, for everyone. I mean, also not good mm. for anyone in the end, but Napoleon maybe. But you always have these idealistic beliefs, but you also have to sacrifice stuff for that. And she 
just didn't want to do that and she just felt so comfortable with all of these man-made things and she really enjoyed being taken care of by a farmer and I think it's really really sad to see that because at first you think yeah okay the farmer is also pretty irresponsible and great for the animals that they can do their own thing and everyone gets enough food at first but it's really it's really heartbreaking to see her struggle with that and just noticing that even at first when the system wasn't wasn't all terrible there are some people suffering under it mhm mhm so i had the the neighbors so mr frederick is hitler who I guess had a non-aggression pact in 1941 and then breaks that pact with Operation Barbosa in that same year, I think. I had to look all this up. I'm like on Wikipedia the whole time. <laughs> um, Stalin or, or Napoleon, he keeps having this threat of the world invading if they don't get their act together, if they don't industrialize. So, yeah, I thought I thought the neighbors were interesting and kind of... In the end, they all, they're all the same. You know, even if you have really horrible people like Hitler, I think at the end, they're all sitting around the table together. Yeah, I think that as the, the ending is one of the most powerful things about this book, I think, because it really shows. So you said about, um, you said earlier that it's basically written like a fairy tale. And in fairy tales, we always have the good and the bad. And, Obviously, when you start reading this book, you're rooting for the animals, right? You're rooting for mm -hmm. all of these characters that you get to know. And then in the end, you realize a big, big part of these animals really isn't good at all. And it's just as bad as all of the others, maybe even worse. And there isn't this clear distinction between good and bad anymore, or some of the characters that you might put in the category of of good animals at first just really wander to the bad ones and that's very very powerful to see because that's something that continuously happens in history mm -hmm. where a movement starts and you think it's all great and all of, and you think the leaders of it are great and then they turn out to do horrible things and not to be good at all Yeah, and the rewriting of the rules was one of my favorite parts of that. How yeah, how they kept the <laughs> the groundwork the same. They never got really rid of any of the rules, but they just kept writing over them and adding to them. And oh, you thought you can't? Nobody can do this. Well, there's an exception to it now. Yeah, and it keeps it keeps kind of morphing and degenerating and turning into this really ugly thing. Yeah, I think there's. A lot of of uh, propaganda happening. There's also I don't think I've mentioned him, but Squealer. He's um, basically like Joseph Goebbels, who was the propaganda minister under Hitler. So he's doing all of that work. He's rewriting the commandments. He is doing all of the speeches for Napoleon, uh, where he talks about. It's basically just fake news. If we look yeah. from a, look at it from a like more modern perspective, he just spreads fake news. He says, "Oh, like this and that has increased to the better, and you're so you're so lucky to live on this farm because on all of the other farms it's so much worse, and you're getting more food than before, and all of that. It's just 
fake, but obviously they want the animals to believe that they are doing great and that they are living in a system that's beneficial for them so that they don't start another rebellion. And that's mm. a very, very powerful message about propaganda as well. Yeah, and Squealer is the is the perfect name. It's one of those perfect choices. Yeah. Um, and I just looked it up. The second-in-command and minister of propaganda, I am not going to say this right, Vyacheslav Molotov under Stalin. <laughs> Another thing I didn't <laughs> know, but this is probably all very familiar to people who are Russian. Yeah, so Orwell wrote this novel t um, in response to Stalinist attitudes, which I think is so interesting that he has trouble publishing this book because at the time they're allied with Russia against Germany. But then later on, this is another one. I, this reminded me so much of Dr. Shivago, and I just re, um, yes. listened to your episode on that too, because <laughs> I know you have a lot to say about it, how they then use this, or the CIA used this to distribute in Russia later on. And then yeah, there. Yeah, that was really interesting about Dr. Shivago and really messed up. Messed up, yeah. <laughs> So you have this uh, situation of, oh, no, 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 we can't publish this because it's against our allies. And then as soon as that power dynamic shifts and it's now the United States no longer allied with Russia, then they turn around and they use these literary works as weapons and try to distribute them in Russia to cause dissent and people questioning things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating what how literature is used politically in that way. Yes, definitely. And I think Orwell is, is the perfect example for that because also 1984 has so many very, very political messages and packaging those messages in a story that's a lot more easy to read than just having all of his thoughts in some kind of manifesto or something like that. It makes it so much more accessible to to an everyday person, I'd say. So, mm. I mean, I'm quite interested in history, but also I'm not sure if I would just sit down and do a lot of research on the Russian Revolution just like that. But because I was reading Animal Farm and Dr. Zhivago, I had a general understanding from these books and I, then I really wanted to learn more and more and more about it and I think that's a great thing that literature can do to just package some some of the more heavy topics um, and give you some kind of framework to understand them better and to engage with them in an easier way I guess. Yeah well said I, I absolutely agree with that I, Dr. Shabaga was another one of those books where I was constantly looking things up. And I'm actually going to quote you on this. I wrote down what you said on your podcast because his, it's all, everything in that book is always there to serve the story and never there to explain true movements or history. Yeah. And so you have to kind of be in the know. Same with Animal Farm. You can, you can read this and not understand anything about Russian history and you would lose a huge part of the book if you didn't fully engage with it and have that, you know, reading comprehension to dive deeper into it and almost loses most of its meaning, I would say, without that. Yes, but I actually watched a video today about Animal Farm 
where they said that at first, when it then finally was published, a lot of the bookstores put it in the children's book section. What? <laughs> um, which is unbelievable to me. But of course, if you have no clue and if you're just reading it like that, oh, it's a nice little fairy tale about some animals on a farm. But still, it gets so violent towards the end. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Like so many animals are killed and... <laughs> I don't know, I wouldn't sell it to kids, but I thought that was very interesting that they even thought of that and just ignored the whole political aspect of it and the whole violence aspect of it. That is so funny. That's a fun little fact. And yeah, another thing about, I can't stop comparing this to Dr. Zhivago because it, the, the, both of these authors are alive at around the same time. Like, even their yeah. deaths are around the same time. And something else that you said about the characters in that story is they try to do so much, but they don't, they don't succeed because the overarching like machinations and things going on in Russia are just too big and there's too much momentum. And it, it kind of brings yeah, me back to, you know, the donkey character in Animal Farm, how it's not something that you can really fight against within the story. It's just politically, there's so much going on. Like you're just trying to live your life and survive. <laughs> yeah, it's true, and also because this whole, um, the whole Russian Revolution and communism in general, it's just the opposite of individualism. You know, like you can't, as an individual, you can't really do anything in a system like that because the whole system is to is designed to not look at the individuals but look at the whole population so i mm, think it's true it's really difficult if you as as one person or one animal in this situation know anything or realize that this is bad it's extremely dangerous to voice your thoughts and to form some kind of community that could start a rebellion against its system and that's also something that happens in 1984 where the situation is slightly diff different, of course, but there you have this regime that just watches every step you take and every facial expression you make, basically. So it's really impossible to find another person that thinks like you and to connect with that person and to organize meetings without being watched and then just vaporized as they call it in 1984. And I think that's also true for, for communism or for the Russian Revolution or the whole story of Animal Farm. It's just, as an individual, you can't really know who to trust and you can't really do anything on your own. So it's really difficult to get rid of the whole situation. Hmm. And, and 1984, so this is my first George Orwell that I've read. I'm not familiar with any of the others. Um, but 1984, I believe, also deals with the idea of, of thought crimes, right? Is, is yes. that correct? Mm. that's that's a big part and that's something that's very terrifying about it but also one of the most interesting things in literature i think so they watch you all of the time and basically when i don't know your eye twitches or something they can just arrest you for that because they say you've probably thought something against the regime or they also, there are also cases of people being arrested in their sleep because they've muttered something. And it's all about even your dreams could betray you, you mm. know, even though 
even if you are very, very strong believer in the whole system, but then you dream about starting a rebellion and you talk in your sleep, you could be just vaporized, as I said before, you could be just arrested for that. And yeah, I think it's it's really scary. And also they create this language, which is very interesting to me because I study linguistics and I find language very fascinating. But they create this language that's designed to limit people's thought. So they are aware that people are thinking something against the regime because, you know, people always do. You can't please everyone. And obviously they are terrible so they know that people think stuff against them um, and they want to change that entirely and so they design this language that should basically have a very very limited vocabulary that doesn't even oh. allow them to think anything against them which I think I don't know if that would work or if people would just make up words for that but also because the communication between people is so limited, I think that if that worked, it would be really dangerous. If you only knew that language, you couldn't you don't know how to phrase anything against these people in power, which is so terrifying. I did not know that about that book with the language thing and now and now I really want to read it. Because that is that is fascinating. That is so smart. I think there is a certain kind of, what is that called? Sapir Whorf effect to that, which is, I'm sure you're familiar with, which is this, the, the idea that if you don't have a word for something, it's not as conscious in your mind. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that would happen. I've seen, I've seen that happen in, in speaking languages myself that I won't, I wouldn't have thought of a concept but now i'm learning another language that has a word for it and suddenly it's it's present in my mind so yeah i really want to i really want to read that one yeah you should definitely should i really love the book and i think the language thing isn't that big of a part of it but for me it was one of the most interesting ones so Mm. it's just mentioned every now and then but then when you start thinking about it it's absolutely terrifying So I want to get into some of my criticisms or things that did not work for me in animal Mm -hmm. form. Um, I thought the the animals were sometimes so stupid and gullible. Like they keep trying to learn how to read, but they can't quite handle it. They have no memory capabilities. They can't remember anything. And having these animals represent um, Russian peasants, I, I thought it was at times almost a little insulting because it kept Mm. trying to propose that oh these russian people are just too stupid to comprehend what's happening when really it's more like well they just didn't have they just didn't have a choice and again i thought that was so much more well done in dr shivago and all these philosophical aspects to the book where it's like well how do i deal with all these things changing in my country on wikipedia there's um, as a little snippet by George Sewell, who reviewed the book back when it came out. And he sa- he was really disappointed in the book. He said, um, the allegory turned out to be a creaking machine for saying in a clumsy way things that have been said better directly. Um, it seems to me that the failure of this book arises from the fact that the satire deals not with something the author has experienced, but rather with stereotyped ideas about a country which he probably does not know very well. 
uh, and I think I would have to agree with him on that. I think it it does show at times that George Orwell he he's never been to Russia. He wasn't Russian. I think he lacks that kind of um uh like fine gefühl. What's the English word for that? Um, huh. <laughs> that kind of um, subtlety, subtlety to mm-hmm. to communicate really what's happening within the minds of the people, uh, and I think at times it was too uh, heavy, heavy-handed. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think you definitely noticed that he he wrote this from an outsider's perspective, and he just knew about these things that were happening, but he didn't experience them, as you said, and obviously that changes your perspective a lot and i i get what you say about these animals that are always portrayed as dumb basically especially the sheep Mm -hmm. and i think i think i know what he wanted to do with that because i think he wanted to show that there are these people in these systems that just chant along and just don't question what it's all about because i do think there are people like that that don't think about whether this is a good development or not but just join the movement because maybe also just because it's safest for them maybe that's also not a very conscious decision but i think they are portrayed in a very very one-dimensional way Mm -hmm. which probably could have been more nuanced i think yeah yeah absolutely nuance is is a good word because there there are so many characters in here that have such depth like boxer and then to kind of paint the rest of the Russian population this very unflattering light, I, I mm. thought was just a little unfair. You know, it's not that these people, they're part of this bigger wheel, this bigger system, and they're just, the normal person is just trying to get their crops in before the harvest. They don't even have, I want to say, the privilege to kind of deal with these bigger ideas because they have yes. so many other daily life things to worry about. Yeah, definitely. I think he probably could have portrayed that, like like I said, in a more nuanced way with maybe focusing a little more on them and on their whys, basically. Like, why why are they just doing all of that? Why are they just singing along, not questioning anything, not really caring to to learn to read and to write? Mm -hmm. Why aren't they realizing how this education could benefit them like what are their priorities and why is it like that i think that would have given the whole thing a lot more depth because i think there are definitely people like that in in all of these systems but mostly they just have their own reasons that we probably just don't understand and i don't think anyone will just join a new movement without having any reason for them for that i think it probably it's also about safety a lot of the times Mm, mm -hmm. you don't want to you don't want to be killed you see other animals being killed because they talk to snowball for example Mm -hmm. so you don't want to do that you just want to live your life want to have enough to eat you want to i don't don't cause any trouble because you want to be safe i think safety is a big thing with that that didn't really come up and i think that he could have included there Mm, yeah that that's a really good point um and it is also worth noting that he the time that he writes this in is in response to people um not questioning any of this because they are 
allies with Russia and they're like, oh, everything they're doing over there is probably fine. And he's, you know, one of the people who's like, no, we need this isn't a fine. We need to examine this, even if we are allies in war with them at the moment. We have probably a different perspective of it now, living in times of peace, but um, it's still a little controversial and interesting that he that he wrote this during the time that it was uh, that it was written in. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important, and that's something that he really understood. I feel like also from having read 1984 as well, I think he really understood the importance of not just taking anything for what it is but really questioning why things happen how things are happening who's responsible for that and Mm. what are the benefits of that and are there any benefits of that and not just saying oh like we're friends with them it's like it's like saying i don't know this is my friend and if she does anything terrible i don't care at all because she's my friend i think Mm. that Mm -hmm. feels wrong as well right if if your friend turns out to be a murderer you wouldn't just not care at all and i think that's something that he really really understood and he really wanted to encourage people to think critically about everything around them well said well said Uh, i I don't really have any other notes on this anything else that you had that you wanted to go into deeper i think we've actually covered everything i wanted to talk about perfect so tell people about your podcast that I love to listen to. And where can people find you online? My podcast is Buchstäblich Podcast. It's in German. So not all of you are going to be able to listen to it. But yeah, it's a podcast about literature and culture and basically everything that, that's interesting to me. And right now I haven't recorded for a while, but I'm working on bringing it back. So if you're interested, there will be more episodes on there soon and yeah i talked about 1984 and the language that they're creating and dr shivago on there so if you want to go deeper on the things we talked about here you can check that out and yeah the podcast is also on instagram at buchstäblich podcast and i also have another instagram handle called my colorful bookshelf which is basically my bookstagram account where I post a lot of colorful books that I read. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Yeah, and all your um, descriptions on that are in are bilingual, I believe. Yeah, on, on that's your bookstagram true. account. So on my bookstagram account, it's all English and German, so everyone can understand. Your your podcast is such great summaries of a book. Uh, which I find summary so hard to do. And then you always ground it into why is this important today? And, and yeah, and also I think if you are learning German, I would definitely recommend the Buchstäblich podcast because you have a very, um, very clear voice and enunciate words that I think are easy. It's easy to understand if you are learning German. I think it's a good resource. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much for being on. I'm so glad we made this happen. Yeah, me too. I'm still very excited that we did that. (laughs) Great suggestion for a book. And that was the end of our episode for Animal Farm with Marie from the Buchstäblich podcast. Again, all her links are below in the description box so you can listen to her beautiful Austrian accent and have her tell you all about the great classics 
that still are with us today. Again, you can find us at Modern Life Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on YouTube, Modern Life Podcast. And you can also email us at modernlifepod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>